Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, I got so crazy last week, we actually skipped a week. But of course, that means tonight we've got a whole lot of stuff we can talk about as we're right in the middle of basketball postseason in both high school and college. Yeah, there's all kinds. I mean, this is the great time of the year, isn't it? Especially for broadcasters, and we get to pay the call uh you know basketball games you know postseason basketball games it's it's a glorious time of the year and uh you know we've already I've been out and done some you know you've been to, to park city already and i've been to a couple nights uh where we were just last night scott as i'm already losing track of, yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm kind of losing track of that myself you know and and one a's of course we covered towards the end of last week they have that unique schedule they they get their quarterfinals done a week before they pick up with everybody else for the the semis and the finals so for us that works out good because we got to cover a lot more of the small schools last week yeah it was uh it's it and i i love 1a basketball i'm kind of bummed that we don't get the 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 unified 1a again i've always loved the unified 1a we have regionals and sub-states and all that because i just felt that was the best uh, state tournaments and even those sub-states like many st- or like many state tournaments you play at the neutral venue and all that and uh boy I just I kind of miss it but uh, at, at the same time uh, you know more, more teams get the state tournament get the state and uh, it, it it's a it's a good product still it's a good product but it, none was better when 1A was just one champion I, th- I, I still say that was the best postseason tournament that we ever had and probably ever will have was when one a was all one division but and, and maybe again someday it will be but uh for now it, it is what it is it's still exciting and we're gonna let's just jump right in and let's go ahead and take a look at where we're gonna be tomorrow night because wow what a couple of semifinal matchups we have it's class 3a boys tomorrow night and we will be in nickerson we're gonna have uh what what a final four this is the the first game of the night, we're going to have the number two ranked team in the state and the number seven ranked team in the states, Heston and Wichita Collegian. Heston is now 20 and one after they knocked off Halstead 90 to 27 in the opening round. Collegian is now 15, let me get this, 15 and six as they pounded Douglas 75 to 28. So a state semifinal caliber game we get in sub-state what do you think of heston and collegiate good matchup i mean for a state semifinal not 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 a sub-state semifinal uh we we've we've gone around <laughs> we've talked about this an awful lot so i don't want to beat a dead horse here but uh the, that, 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 that's a great matchup you know collegiate plays a pretty tough schedule you know they play in avctl so they play a lot of the bigger schools uh or i should say bigger schools but bigger than them anyway they play a lot of 4A schools. You know, they played Bueller, they played Andale, they they played a pretty tough schedule. So uh, nothing's going to phase uh, collegiate. You know, they're 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 well tested. So I don't think that they're going into this game tomorrow thinking, oh my gosh, we're playing the defending state champion and and twenty and one, Heston Swathers or anything like that. Uh, it, it's it's going to be, I think, a pretty good game. I think it will be too. I recognize a lot of the names on the collegiate roster. Unfortunately, um, no Grady Dick though. No, there's not a, a Grady Dick, but a lot of those familiar, really good football athletes also are very, very good basketball players matching up against a Heston team. I think you or I were told by somebody that four or five of the Heston starters this year 
are all signed to play collegiately at some level next year. That, that That's amazing for, for one 3A school to have five seniors all signed to play next year at the next level. Yeah, I know uh, Braden Schilling is uh, signed to go play at Bethel. I, I, one of the others is uh, – he hasn't signed yet, but I think Baker's after him. So they've got a lot of college basketball players. And, you know, for a smaller school like that, to, to have your – to have that many kind of kids – get the opportunity to play in college is it's, it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, if you're starting five, I mean, if, if, if it's a six, a school starting five and everyone's uh, signed to, or committed to playing college, that's uh, a pretty tough app. But to see that the three, a level, uh, that that's one indication of just how good Heston is. That's the first matchup we'll have on Thursday night. I believe that's on 95, nine, if I remember correctly. And then we go to the seven thirty game. Well, since we have the number seven and number two teams, ranked in class 3a means we we also need the number one team so we've got cheney and haven that's the one five matchup cheney uh, 77 39 victory over nickerson and then haven um maybe a mild upset i don't know this is a pretty even matchup as four fives are as a low scoring win at wichita trinity 45 41 i guess we talked a little bit about this last night in post game. Does that one three one zone defense from Haven have enough magic in it this season to knock off twenty one and Ochini? Well, we saw Haven probably. I don't want to say at their worst, but they did not play well a couple weeks ago against Heston. So Heston just really you know picked apart that one three one zone. They shot well. Haven did not. I still think that Haven has enough athletes. They've got enough size. They have enough length, and they have an outstanding coach in Lonnie Paramore where they can provide problems. Uh, do I expect Cheney to win? Yes. Would I be surprised if we go into the fourth quarter and it's like a one-possession game? Absolutely not. You know, again, if, if I'm betting money on this, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to put money on, on Cheney. But I tell you, I, I think Haven has the athletes. They've got the size. They've got the length, and they've got the coaching that could really make this an interesting matchup. Yeah, I, I really like the size because if you can rebound and defend in the paint and, and, and maybe maybe Cheney has a, a little bit of an off night shooting outside or they struggle, which I've seen really good teams struggle against that one three one trapping zone that Haven just plays so well. Uh, I, I like their opportunity there. Am I picking Haven to win the game? No, I, I think I think we're going to see Cheney Heston um, in the finals. But again, I would not like you be surprised if we have a game still when we hit the fourth quarter. And of course the basketball fan and commentator in me, of course would like to see that as well. So those are the boys uh, semifinals. Those will be on Thursday night. Then we'll move to the girls on Friday night. The first game will be the two seed Cheney. They are now 18 and three 67, 25 victory over Douglas. They'll take on Heston, who's now 15 and six, as they defeated Halstead 56 to 23. I know uh, we saw Cheney in the um, Haven Wildcat Classic, where they just destroyed Nickerson and Andale on their way to that tournament championship. I was thoroughly impressed with Cheney. Now, obviously, there are three losses on there. Now, the quality of those losses don't get a whole lot better. I know Sterling was one of them. Um, but uh, Cheney Heston, again, uh, we know how well um, disciplined coached Heston. They've got some really good athletes, especially they got a couple of freshmen that are going to be really, really good. And those freshmen hold up against 
the length and size and experience of Cheney. I think you said the magic word there, the experience. I mean, this team won a state championship, and I think because they lost uh, an outstanding player in Kylie Shear, we kind of forgot just how good some of those other players were, and they've proven it this year. You know, I think Cheney, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make it back to state and maybe win, win another state championship. But having said that, you know, Matt Richardson is one of the great coaches in the state of Kansas, and, and he's going to have Heston ready for this one. And I think that they've got the size. I think they've got the athleticism. I think they've got the tools to make this a game. They've got some size. Cheney has a ton of size. They right. play four girls that are all 5'10 or better. Um and I'm going to forget they've got a, a tremendous shot blocker in the middle. The name escapes me. I don't have the rosters in front of me. I think she's 6-1 in there. Um, I, I, I think I like Cheney to win the game. But, again, uh, if this is a one-possession game in the fourth quarter, and I think Heston would do well to keep this a lower-paced, right. lower-scoring game, which they're very good at. They're very disciplined in the half court. Um, should be a lot of fun. That'll be 6 o'clock on Friday night. And then 7.30 game, you've got the one seed, Nickerson. They are now 20-1, and one, uh, 68-23 victory over a winless collegiate team in the opening round. And then Haven again, uh, Wichita Trinity was the higher seed. They were 10-10. and 10. Haven was 9-11. and 11. Good ball game. Trinity wins that game 59-53. Um, I'm not predicting running clock in this game, Brad, but I am. I'm thinking Nickerson um, – Ava Jones, you know, they had that scare with her knee. I think she's 100% healthy. Uh, I, I look for Nickerson to win this one comfortably. Well, with Nickerson, the the only thing that would concern me in by playing back-to-back days would be the lack of depth. So yeah. if, if they can get out to that big lead and get to a running clock, that would be extremely beneficial for the Panthers where John McClain can then empty the bench give Ava Jones, you know, have a rest, uh, the equivalent of a quarter and a half, give Josie McClain the equivalent of a quarter and a half off, Kieran Anches, et cetera. So I I think that that would be big for uh, for Nickerson to get to that big lead to the point where they can pull those starters in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that'll be be interesting to see. And and the only other thing that could derail them, which is what um, derailed them against Cheney the first time around, is – Ava Jones got three fouls in that first quarter. By the way, also the game that she had that tweaked knee in as well. I think that would be the only other thing would be her or maybe uh, Josie McClain, one of those other starters, gets in early foul trouble. Um, I think they could survive that against Trinity. I don't know that they could survive that against Cheney if that would be the finals. Right, and that just goes back to the not the deepest team in the world, but uh, you know the, their starting five, and even if you you know go one or two deep into their bench, still uh, more than capable of you know competing with anybody. They probably don't have the depth that Cheney has. As a matter of fact, they don't have the depth that Cheney has. But uh, that that uh, I mean, I will tell you what, Scott, if I'm fortunate to be along there with you Saturday night, uh, we could be treated to two virtual state championship games. We really could, and we've we've been looking forward to that a long time. So hopefully. That's how it'll break down in Nickerson. Well, let's move into 2A. Let's go to uh, the Whitewater um, substate where they will play um, girls Thursday, boys Friday. The girls side of that matchup will be the one seed Breen Academy. They're 20 and one. No trouble with Trinity 38, 21 in the opener. They'll be against a 13 and eight, very talented Hillsborough team who, I thought this would be a lot closer. They blew out Mound Ridge 
50 to 27 in the first game. Uh, we like the size. There's youth and experience with this Hillsborough team. But, boy, I tell you, I, I have seen Marine Academy. It's a typical – they've got length. They've got size. They're very disciplined. I think Hillsborough can keep this close. I just don't know if, if they have enough firepower to, to, to take out Marine Academy. Arguably the best defensive team in the classification is Berean. And like you said, typical team and all that. And what makes it maybe a little disconcerting is that they 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 don't they, they, they just don't usually score a lot of points. That's just that's just how they play. It, it, it's just a defensive oriented team. Um, and so if they just have that kind of night where they don't hit some shots, you know, you go into the fourth quarter and it's a, you know, a 19 to 17 game. So that would be my one concern with Berean. But again, we're talking about one of the elite defensive teams in the state. If they have seven, if you, if you only have 17 points in, uh, going into the fourth quarter, it's probably not going to turn out too well for you unless Berean <laughs> just has a really big off night. Yeah. The bottom side of the bracket, uh, Remington 15 and six, they are the two seed. They defeated Inman 53, 42. They'll take on, uh, Flint Hills, uh, overtime victory over Sedgwick, 49-46. They are 14-6 and six now on the season. I have seen Remington. Um, it was not a good game for them when I saw them over at the Hillsboro Classic, but they do have some talent. Um, I'm going to forget her name, the transfer from Halstead. O'Brien. Uh, O'Brien. Kaylee O'Brien. Very talented, very athletic. I think that could be a really fun game, and that, that made the winner of that game maybe the dark horse here in the substate. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with uh, Remington, but O'Brien, obviously, uh, last year at Halstead, uh, even though she wasn't uh, one of their talented seniors, was still one of their uh, key players. So, uh, boy, it was anybody happier than Remington to see a player of her caliber transfer in like that. So. De- definitely, definitely someone that the, uh, a team that could probably make some noise when you have a player of that caliber. Let's uh, go over onto the boys' side. And Brad, if we weren't in Nickerson on Friday night, I would love to be in Whitewater on Friday night for the six o'clock game. This is the bottom side of the bracket: the two seed Mound Ridge, the three seed Inman. It's a rivalry game. Uh, Mound Ridge just blew out Flint Hills. 70 to 44 in the opener. They're now 18 and three and Inman um, took out a, you know, not a bad Marine Academy team, um, big time, 55, 25. So what do you think of, I know these two teams have played at least twice, if not three times this year, they play in the regular season. They play in that early season tournament. Who do you like in this matchup with Mound Ridge and Inman? Wow. (laughs) That's a great game. Uh, I mean, you got Dan Sunrow against Brett Fraze. I mean, my goodness, uh, man, that's that's that that, that that's a state tournament matchup right there, Scott. I mean, that, that's that's a great matchup right there. It is, and I, you know, I it's it's pretty much a pick 'em. I mean, I've seen Inman a little bit more this year. I saw Mound Ridge way back in the beginning of the season. Uh, both teams have athletes, and it, man, it's just. It's just a tough call for me. I mean, I think it's a coin flip. I mean, if if you may, if you maybe pick someone, I'd probably lean toward Inman just because maybe I may be a little bit more familiar with them. But uh, it, you know, I think it's just a toss up. You know, you got Logan Churchill, um, the big, he, and he can hit the three for Mound Ridge. I love his inside out game. Um, they've got good guards around him. Inman's so athletic um, with uh, Heckle and 
and crew. <laughs> Man, it's just, again, it's a shame to see him matching up in, in the semis of sub-state. But that, that'll be a fantastic game. Um, I guess I might lean towards Inman. Just I, I love their athleticism. Um, but, boy, not surprised whoever comes out of that game. Uh, could have uh, the tallest order in the state is on the top side of the bracket is 20 and one Hillsboro, um, 63 30 over Trinity in the opener against 14 and seven Sedgwick who defeated um, Remington 50 to 33 boy would like to think Sedgwick can hang in this game, but Hillsboro um, one loss on the season. It's a one point loss at Heston. I, I just don't see them slipping up against Sedgwick. If you just take into account 3A, 2A, and 1A, you can make an argument that Hillsborough's got the best team in the state among those three classifications. Uh, You can make actually a pretty easy argument that they've got the best team uh, among those three classifications. You know, Daryl Canole's one of the most outstanding coaches out there. Let's just say this much, Scott. If you take away Hillsborough, you've got maybe one of the most competitive sub-states out there from a perspective of, four teams maybe that you could legitimately make a run and get to the state tournament. If I'm being honest, Scott, I'm surprised if anybody besides Hillsborough wins the sub-state. I, I would be too. I mean, and there's good, there's good teams in there. Oh, very good teams. Hillsborough's just, they're, they're, they're just a step above everybody else. And that that's just, that's just a fact. I don't, that's, that's as easily as I can put it. Um, we'll, we'll stay in two a, of course you, um, you and I had the Sterling, High school boys last night with their big victory over Syracuse. And then you had the girls on uh, Monday night when they blew out Sublette. So Sterling now plays Medicine Lodge, who's just now 10-10 and 10 on the season. The bottom side, Elkhart and Ellenwood. Um, I, I certainly look for the Sterling girls to be in the finals. Um, what, what would you think? Uh, Elkhart, Jill Rowland says, uh, pretty athletic, couple of good guards on that team. Do you see Elkhart having a chance to upset the number one team in Class 2A? You know, the one thing Elkhart does, has go- does have going for them when you kind of look at their team, uh, guard play aside, is they haven't lost any Kansas teams this year. I think that's uh, that, that, to me, really says something, that they're able to take, you know, the, the, the schedule from the, you know, teams from Kansas and, and beat every single one of them. You know, the only losses are, I think, to one from Oklahoma and one from Colorado, so – it, it, it's a league, the High Plains League. You know, there, there's always like one really good team in there, like Hugoton. You know, that makes a run at state. But um, usually, I, I, you know, and I've lived out there for four years. I live in Garden City, so I'm familiar with the High Plains League. It just seems like that after you get that top team, it just seems to kind of drop off a little bit. I guess Hugoton's actually in the uh, uh, conference with like uh, Colby and Goodland and all that. But um, I, I don't know, Scott. I just don't see Sterling tripping up at sub-states. I, I, as a matter of fact, I, I would be surprised if either game that they play out there is a single-digit game. Um, in agreement there with the Sterling girls, um, I think they will head back to state once again this year and probably be the odds-on favorite at state. Um, still, of course, business to take care of. Um, then on the boys' side, interesting matchup, the top seed uh, Ellen Wood is going to play, you know, here we were building up skyline last night, Brad, and they get beat by <laughs> Sublette, um, 53, 47. So Sublette on their home floor at 12 and nine, we'll take on Ellenwood, And then we had the Sterling big win over Syracuse. They're going to play an 11 and 10 medicine lodge team. Uh, I, 
I, I do like the, the, the chalk here. I think Sterling um, has got enough, has shown us enough that they'll beat Medicine Lodge. My question mark is, can they, can they beat a really good Ellenwood team if they can overcome that um, substate home floor slight advantage there for Sublette? Well, from what I know, that they've got uh, Ellenwood, one of the top scorers in the state. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if that matchup happens. How Derek Schneider will defend that 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 elite score from Ellenwood? You know, do you put a Hopewell on him or something like that, or do you, you know, put I put a Zach Surface, or do you go boxing one, or or you know, how how do you defend that? I guess we'll find out. But the good thing is that they do have some athletes that could probably keep up. Uh, I don't think they'd really need to junk it up. I, I think that they would play them straight. Uh, Sterling would play straight up, but I do think they have enough athletes to defend an elite score like that. So, you know, when I say that I, I expect Sterling to win, uh, you know what? I, I think I do. I do. Th- I think Sterling's going to go down there, and uh, they're not just their girls, but I think their boys win also. Their boys are on a roll. They've won nine in a row since starting seven and five. So, I, I again, that that would be another one that. Um, if we weren't where we were going to be on Saturday, I might not mind being out in Sublette for Ellenwood and Sterling if they match up. Well, let's jump down into 1A for a little bit and go to Burton, where on Thursday night it'll be Maxville St. John. That's the 1 4 um, on the top side of the bracket. And then the bottom side, it's 2 3 Gossel and Little River. Um, I saw St. John just. Um, go to a running clock on Canton Galva. thought that game was going to be a lot closer. Um, they played very well. They actually beat Maxville. I think it was the last week of the season at Maxville by 10. I was really surprised Maxville's um, 17 and two on the season. Um, do you think St. John can find that magic once again over in Burton and, and, and beat top seeded Maxville for a second time and, and about the last two weeks? You have to forgive me. The name of the the St. John coach is a Danton Hilton or something like that. Or yes, yeah. I don't think he's actually got enough credit for what he's done over there in the couple of years since uh, Clint Kinneman left for Wichita East. Uh, that that that's a tough act to follow, man. And he put St. John within one game of the state tournament last year, and now they've got another good team this year. So, I mean, uh, do, do do I expect them to go out and win? Uh, you know, I think it's a toss up. You know, winning that one one time. By, by double digits uh, against a good Maxville team. Can, can they do it again? I mean, they could, but, you know, I, I would expect if, it, uh, if it's a rematch that it would be, you know, just one of those good games, you know, comes down to the last couple minutes. And on the bottom side, uh, looks like a really even matchup. The records are, it uh, looks like a half a game difference here between Gossel and Little River. Gossel 14 and 5, Little River uh, 14 and 6 on the season. Uh, Boy, we know Little River's got some nice athletes. I love the Barola kid inside. I mean, I've seen Gossel the last couple of years. They've got some some really good guard play, some good three-point shooting. Uh, again, I think it's that really looks like another toss-up. I, I, I think I like Little River in this game, but, again, wouldn't be surprised at all to see Gossel advance to the championship. No, I, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, again, kind of with the team I'm more familiar with is Little River. And, you know, once again, they've got, uh, you know, the athletes, they've got the shooting, they've got the size, uh, not to the extent that they had last year, obviously, but it's still a good enough team to, to win these kind of games. And I, but you know what, Scott, I mean, you look at these four teams, you know, this is, this is one of the more open sub states. I mean, I think any of those four teams, you can make a legitimate case to win it. 
I think so as well. That'll certainly be a lot of fun on Thursday and Saturday. On the girls' side, it, you got the 1-5 matchup on the top. Little River, boy, they've had a long layoff course. They got a bye. So they, it's been almost two weeks since they have played. And they are 18-1. and one. They'll take on a 12-8 and eight Maxville team. And on the bottom side, again, I saw St. John uh, go to running clock on Canton Galva. They're now 14 and seven. They'll take on a 13 and seven Burton team. I, I certainly like St. John and Little River to advance. Do you think the St. John have enough? They, they, they are very, I think they only dressed seven or I think they just dressed seven in that game against Canton Galva. Um, you know, we know Little River is deep and their size and length, the, the St. John have a chance to pull the upset if that is the matchup Saturday night? Oh, man, I think it'd be pretty tough. I mean, I, Little River's an elite team. I mean, we know that their only loss on the season is to uh, Hutchinson Central Christian. And I, I, I just – I think Little River is not just, you know, the, the solid favorite. I think they're the pretty heavy favorite to win this one. Uh, you know, the, with uh, Darby Smith, and there, there's some good players over there in, in St. John. Uh, I just and, and they're used to not having the depth and all that because they're such a short. Uh, they, they got such what what uh, as you said like seven or eight players. Uh, Little River can just bring people. I mean their their size, their athleticism. I mean their, their size is the athleticism. Uh, th- this Little River team is a state contender. I I I don't think uh, I, I would be shocked if they don't win it. I, I would be as well. I, I think St. John can hang in there with them, but I I, I just don't see the upset there. And in uh, Class 1A Division 2, really the only school that um, you and I see a little bit would be Central Plains. Um, I'm looking at the girls' side of the bracket. Central Plains got a bye. Brad, there's nobody else in this sub-state. Central Plains is 19-1. and one. Nobody else has a winning record. Um, <laughs> and that rural, includes the boys' side. Well, uh, yeah, and Rural Vista, they still don't have a winning record because this was a double bye one and two they're 10 and 10 i mean i just i don't see central plains getting beat in sub-state nor do i see them getting beat in in the state tournament no i mean it's it's uh it's a team that's probably going to win another state championship i mean this is probably going to be a couple running clocks for central plains they're going to gather pretty early uh both nights with a victory and, and a trophy on saturday yeah i i think there's i i have little little doubt about that well, let's before we leave the high school um, brackets, let's take a quick look at Class 4A. As this is a Wednesday night, we're recording. Bueller, Bueller had a tough night, uh, 52-42. They were the they're the two seed on the west side. Um, Wellington gave them all they wanted. That was a close game the entire way. They they do advance and will play El Dorado um, for the Substate Championship. On Saturday, do you see Bueller? I think maybe that was a, a good wake-up call against Wellington. Do you see them having any trouble um, with El Dorado? Well, El Dorado beat them last time out. So, And El Dorado had a great win over a good circle team uh, tonight, 55-36. So, yeah. you know, Wellington, they were actually 6-7 and seven at one point. So they lost their last seven games. And if I remember correctly, seven of their 14 losses were by single digits. And they took collegiate to overtime. So Wellington really wasn't a bad team. Bueller got out to a big lead, twenty-one to eight, and then they just didn't put them away. Is all all it really was. They, I mean, I don't, I don't think they were ever really in danger of losing that game, but they didn't put it away either. So, 
gosh, I almost hate to say that. I think Saturday's a toss-up. I mean, El Dorado's legitimately good. They're playing well, and uh, they've already got the win over Beeler this year. Now, having said that, you know Beeler's probably licking their chops at a chance to get revenge on El Dorado. Oh, absolutely. Um, Andale is the three seed there in Substate 3. They will not play until tomorrow night against Mulvane. And then, of course, the other um, X Factor in there, we've talked about it. it. It wouldn't happen unless they got the state. McPherson is setting as the overall number nine. They're going to play Clearwater. Actually, that game is tonight. And then potentially, well, Pratt has already beaten Ulysses. Uh, do you do you see, do you sneaky suspect, does McPherson get out of the sub-state number one and into the state tournament? Well, I'm going to first see if I can find a final for that McPherson game. Oh, goodness, Scott. Did they destroy Clearwater? 54-22. to 22. Oh. <laughs> let's, let's remember, McPherson was on the road. <laughs> yeah, they were at Clearwater. Oh, wow. Um, that That's uh, – I, I, I hate to say this because it's it's a top seed, and we know that Pratt deserves a lot of respect for being the top seed. But, Scott, I, I'm, I'm going with McPherson, and McPherson may win this by double digits. I got a feeling you're right. I, I just think that they, they've had a lot of close losses. I know they're – well, they're now 12-9. and nine. They were 11-9. and nine, but And they're healthy now. They're healthy. There's the tradition. They're playing – obviously playing very well. Um I too, I think I think they knock off Pratt Saturday, and we're going to see Mac. Um, I think we're going to see Mac and Bueller in state, and potentially again against one another, um, potentially in the opening round. Boy, that would be, boy, wouldn't that be a great a great atmosphere if they played for a third time this year? I, I don't know that if you're a Bueller fan, you're <laughs> really rooting for that. Um, trying to beat Mac, it took so long to beat him just once, and now you got him twice. Uh, boy. I'll tell you someone who is rooting for that. The he, Tony, Tony's Pizza Event Center. Yes, they are. That place would be. <laughs> uh, I you know I've been to the Expo Center in Topeka before, and McPherson will fill up half the arena, and you know the Beeler will travel well too. And it just really quick, like how will that happen? Basically, how a Beeler McPherson Part Three happens. Obviously, they both have to win their sub-state, but there's got to be another upset out there, and it's got, and it has to be Topeka Hayden, which. It's seven and thirteen, but they also play a brutal schedule. They play Topeka, they play Junction City, they play Manhattan. You know, they play a tough. They play Highland Park. They play a tough schedule. So if 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 Bueller wins Substate, McPherson wins Substate, Hayden wins Substate, and there's no other upsets, it would be Bueller Mac Part Three. Ooh, <laughs> let's leave that there and just let everybody kind of stew on that one for a little while that they could meet a third time in the opening round of the state tournament. Uh, again, our full schedule at adasterradio.com and the sports page. Well, let's, let's stay on basketball for a while, Brad. What is wrong with the Kansas Jayhawks all of a sudden? Losers of two in a row and now a half a game back of Baylor. Not long ago, they had a two-game lead in the Big 12 after losing Saturday, 80-70 to 70 at Baylor, and then the 74-64 loss last night at TCU. They finish a chance to, uh, tomorrow night on Thursday to tie Baylor once again, but they get TCU again at home and then finish up Saturday with Texas. Um, DCKU able to rebound and get at least a share of the regular season championship. 
Well, first of all, how about this number, Scott? Kansas was five and four in Big Twelve road games this year because uh, their last two games are at home. Five and zero oh against non-Texas teams. Zero oh and four against Texas teams, and really? on the road. So, I guess on one hand, it's good that they don't have to go back to. Te- Hopefully, they don't have to go to Texas for the NCAA tournament. But the the concerning thing is that both games were pretty comfortably won by KU's opponents. You know. Baylor won comfortably, and Baylor's a really good team. Let's not forget how good Baylor really is. And TCU's a tournament team also, but they just were just didn't seem really in that game there uh, against uh, TCU, Scott. I mean, they were out-rebounded by six in the first half, still had a one-point lead. Um, gosh, I mean, uh, Dave and, and Mitch Lightfoot didn't have very good nights. Uh, Zach Clement suffered a concussion, I heard. So a quick turnaround, and you know Kansas is you know Kansas is probably licking their chops for uh, for this one. You know that they're going to be very eager to to get back out there and prove that you know what TCU did to them was a fluke. And, and you know I think Kansas probably goes out there and probably returns the favor by you know ten to twelve points or something like that, which then takes you into to, to, to the Texas game on Senior Night. And Kansas hasn't lost a Senior Night in uh, I don't know something like forty years or something like that. But it'll be their fourth game in eight days. Mm. Uh, at least they didn't have to travel tomorrow or on Saturday, but uh, boy, that, that's that's a lot of games. That is a lot of games, and you you always worry, even with a deep team, about conditioning, legs, all that. And boy, I don't know, they're they're a head scratcher to me. Sometimes they look like they nobody could beat them in the nation. And other nights, you know, middle of the pack team like TCU um, comes up and beats them by ten. So I think. Oh, it's a tough time of year to not have the consistency that you would like to see out of them when the then the Big 12 and NCAA tournaments just right around the corner. Yeah, that's that's the tough thing is that consistency isn't there. And it doesn't it doesn't help that, you know, Remy Martin's been out most of the Big 12 play and he's trying to come back and play a little bit now. And uh, I mean, you have to play a player of his caliber if he's ready. I just don't know if maybe if that's affecting the rotation a little bit. I you know, I'm, 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 I might be spitballing here, but. You know, he's been back for two games. They've lost them both. So I'm not saying that's his fault. I'm just saying that, you know, trying to p- plug, uh, you know, uh, someone in back into the rotation this late in the season. Uh, and again, you have to play someone of his caliber, but it could take a couple more games for it to really start clicking again for Kansas. Well, hopefully it will start clicking again. The Jayhawks will play Thursday against TCU at home and Saturday senior day against Texas. Those games, of course, can be heard on 94.7 KSKU, and they will carry all of KU's games to the conclusion of their season. Well, Brad, the Lady Warriors, um, since we last visited, uh, made a trip into the KCAC tournament as regular season champions, and they were trying to go back-to-back seasons of not just winning the regular season, but tournament championships. They started off uh, against a red-hot McPherson team in the first half in the quarterfinals, Mack hitting 8 of 11, three-pointers in the first half, and they actually trailed in that game 47-42 at halftime, and they put a show on in the second half and went on to actually blow out McPherson 88-68, moved into the semifinals on Saturday at home against Kansas Westland. Um, And Brad, I think it's the first time I've ever seen a game in which somebody scored 39 points, which was what Amanda Hill did in her final game, possibly final game. We don't know the tournament selection yet uh, for Kansas Westland, but she was the second leading scorer in that game, Brad, as 
somebody you and I know and love, Emily Hendrickson from Haven, the senior guard for the Lady Warriors, went for 41 points in that game, which became a single-game record for Sterling. It bested the old record by one and tied the all-time single-game scoring record in the KCAC. It was it was a thing of beauty um, of what what Emily did, and that was with hitting just four three-pointers. So that just 12 of her points came behind the arc. So, you know, she was getting out, running the floor, getting layups, hitting mid-range jumpers, I mean, and getting to the foul line. It, it was it was amazing to watch her in her final game on that floor there at Lonnie Cruz Court. Yeah, you know, so such a good kid. And, you know, she's uh, had a great athletic career around here. You know, we've been privileged to see uh, her play back at Haven basketball and softball. And then she went up to Cloud County. And then, uh, you know, just what she's done at Sterling. Uh, you know, you like good things happening to good people. And Emily's just a good person. And to see her go out like that uh, with that kind of performance, you just got to feel great for her. So they they get to the championship game for the fourth straight season in a row. They won it last year um, over Tabor, and now they go in against an Avila team on Monday night, which they had beaten twice in two very different games. They won a high sh- scoring shootout in Sterling. I think it was ninety, I think ninety four to eighty four, ninety one eighty one, and then they won um, what was described to me. I wasn't there for it as a very ugly. Um, low scoring, neither team shooting the ball very well at all, win by uh, seven points up in Kansas City. So it's you thought, okay, is this Avila's night? They they got the Lady Warriors a couple years ago in this game. And they started off, Maddie Morgan was the player of the year out of Avila. She hits a three first possession. Um, Lady Warriors turn it over. Avila gets a quick two, and it's 5 nothing. You're kind of thinking, okay, are they going to run into a really hot team? Well, Avila ran in to a really hot game, and it was 22 to eight at the end of that first quarter. Sterling went on a 22 to three run en route to just blowing the doors off of Avila. This game was, it was, it was over um, at halftime. I believe the score, let me get back up here on the stats. It was 49 to 24 at halftime. Sterling actually led by 37 points with, around eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter when they started getting out of their press, bringing in um, reserves off the bench. Avila kept up some pressure. Um, Their starters started to hit some shots. They were cold most of the night. So 90 to 66, the Lady Warriors win this. It was not that close. They shoot 50% from the floor. Again, so efficient. They don't shoot a ton of threes, but we're six of 13. And fantastic at the line, 24 out of 26. Um, they dominated points in the paint. And I tell you, Brad, the freshman, Corinne Clayson, this last month of the season, you see why they were so excited about this young lady. She went for 30 and 11 in this game. Her ability to slash to the basket and just some of the moves that she makes for somebody that's 5'10, 5'11, just almost leaves me with my jaw on the floor sometimes. Emily Hendrickson follows up 41 with 25 in this game. Taya Wilson, 23 points, 14 rebounds. Um, just just a monster in this game. And, and they really um, have left no doubt, even with the injury to Bailey Albright, that this was by far the best team in this conference again this year. Yeah, and it took a 
a, a late season loss without Albright uh, to Oklahoma Wesleyan, where it, it wasn't just a once in a year kind of shooting performance. It was probably a once in a decade kind of shooting performance to, to beat them in uh, late in the season there. So I think Sterling is uh, they're they're in great shape going into the NAI tournament. I mean, yeah, you want to be you want to be as healthy as possible. You know, if they had a healthy Albright, you might be talking about a team capable of making a Final Four run. But that's not to say that they still can't uh, get out of their first two games and get up to Sioux City and maybe even win a game or two there. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit more difficult. But uh, the fact that they're, you know, still we're, still have pretty high expectations, I think. Yeah, they, as as expected, Coach Bassett there in the last and the Kansas Wesleyan game some and certainly against Avila shortened the rotation to basically seven players, uh, bringing in, of course, Lauren Carmack for the most minutes off the bench and then Faith Martin a little bit. But there was somebody at that scores table almost every dead ball. I mean, when, when she rests somebody, it's for, you know, maybe a, a minute of game time and they're so well conditioned. They can play at that high pace. Now, that high pace, they get 11 days off. They won't play until Friday, March 12th. I, I wish it was this Friday, as hot as they are, but everybody's in the same boat. Um, we'll know Thursday, you and I are talking about maybe uh, having a laptop so we can have the selection show on in the background as we're calling the uh, the first of those two great boys games at Nickerson. Um to win back-to-back games with the pace they have to play with their short bench, that's my only question mark. I, I think they'll get the number one seed. Um, they're in either Park City or at Friends. Um, that's If they can win that first game, that second game, I'll be curious to see if they can keep up that pace that they need to play to, to get back to Sioux City. Yeah, they will play back-to-back days, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, so there, there you and have they had to do that lately? No, I would say that you know the Saturday Monday turnaround was the the closest that they have done that. So they're gonna have to you know with a shorter bench now they're gonna have to turn around and play back to back games. So so kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with one of the high school games uh, with Nickers with uh, the Nickerson girls, if they if they can get out to a big lead you know in the fourth quarter, I'm sure that Coach Bassett will be more than happy to empty the bench. Uh, as, as early as possible. Uh, maybe it's also one of those games, hey, you got a 12-point lead early in the second quarter. You know, maybe give one of those other bench players who doesn't see a lot of time a minute or two, you know, just to try to keep the, the, the top players in the short rotation as fresh as possible uh, going into the second game. Well, and oh, by the way, uh, it was another record-setting night on Monday night for the Lady Warriors, Taya Wilson, as she became, I believe it's when she grabbed her out of her 14 rebounds, somewhere when she grabbed her 11th of the game, she became the single season all-time leader in Lady Warrior history in rebounds in one season. So (laughs) I'm not exaggerating when I said I saw record-breaking performances Saturday and Monday. Well, who knows, with this group, you may see more down the road here. Well, that would be uh, fantastic. So, again, um, Thursday evening, I believe you can go. Uh, I, I don't know if it's on NAIA's Facebook page for exactly where that selection show is. Um, it'll be at 6 o'clock. Go to NAIA.org. There should be a lot more information about that. And it'll get posted immediately at scwarriors.com, um, whether it'll be 1 or 3 o'clock Friday, March 12th, and who the opponent will be for the Sterling Lady Warriors, and I will, of course, have that action for you live on 
8.9. Well, Brad, just a little side topic here before we go on to some other topics. Um, this is the time of year, Brad, where there, there's something that I love and something that also drives me crazy all in the same sentence is um, you hear you get to some selection shows and, and we, you know, we all watch the, the NCAA, the big reveal and the selection show. Um, when they start to bring up teams that get automatic bids, when a team that wins a conference tournament is suddenly referred to as, let's say, the Big 12 champion is the Oklahoma Sooners or whatever, that phrase drives me crazy, Brad. That is the tournament champion. The champion of the Big 12 is the regular season. Um, why do you think it is um, in this day and age that we have put so much emphasis on a team getting hot in one week and winning a tournament and not so much emphasis on a team that over a three or four month period is the best team in that conference. It's just kind of the American sports way, isn't it, Scott, where for some reason we just devalue the regular season. I mean, we, we recognize, you know, the AFC West champion, Kansas City Chiefs, but <sighs> I don't know. It, it almost seems like that if Bill Self maybe had won 14 Big 12 tournaments in a row, people might consider that more <laughs> impressive than the regular seasons. I don't know. Uh, it's it's just an odd thing how they consider. Oh, the, well, the Big 12 champions. No, the you know if 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 uh, Baylor wins it in the regular season, they're the Big 12 champions. If Kansas wins it, it's Kansas. If they share it, they share it. But the tournament champion is the tournament champion. They're not. If 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 Baylor wins the regular season outright and then they win the tournament. They're the they're without doubt the Big Twelve champions, but if like Baylor wins the regular season and then Kansas wins the tournament, guess what? Baylor's still the Big Twelve champions. I just don't like uh, this emphasis on uh, a tournament championship is is the conference winner or whatever. Yeah, and 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 people don't realize you know because KU everybody knows they're going to be in the NCAA tournament no no matter what happens in the Big Twelve tournament, but still the actual automatic bid is the tournament. <laughs> There, there is there is no automatic bid rewarded to the regular season champion in the NCAA, which I don't like for the small conferences, say, you know, the SWAC or the MEAC. I, I, I love the big dance because the little guy gets his chance. I want those conferences to have their best team in the tournament, not the team that maybe got hot in their conference tournament. I want their best team in there that gives them the best chance to represent their conference and pick up that big W in the big dance that just makes their conference look so good. But the broadcaster in me, Brad, loves the win or go home in February and March because those are some of the best game and the best theater we have all year. Oh, what's more fun than seeing, like, you know, the uh, – the Oh gosh! Like I'm trying to think of some obscure conference. Like, oh, um, uh, you know, I I don't know if they have a tournament. So maybe it's not the best one. But you know, just one of those little like uh, the 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 whack or whatever. You know, and you get maybe like UMKC as the eight seed, and they you know make a Cinderella run to the championship game where they're playing you know the top seed or the or the second seed or something like that. And you know, it's just it, it, those are the kind of games. Honestly, Scott, I'm tuning into on ESPN or ESPNU to watch <laughs> to see these little obscure schools that went like 10 and 18 in the regular season, all of a sudden have a chance to sneak into the tournament because they won their conference. I mean, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I see both sides of it and uh, it does, it definitely makes it, uh, you know, March Madness what it is. 
Now, I, I do like the way that uh, most of the NAIA conferences, their first bid to nationals does go to the regular season champion. And then also the tournament champion um, gets in. If they're one and the same, then it is usually the second place team in the regular season that gets that second automatic bid. So in the Sterling's case this year, since they won both the regular season and tournament champions, their second automatic bid out of the KCAC went to Tabor, who finished second in the regular season. And then we'll see who else gets uh, an at-large bid. But I, I do like the way the NAI does that. Yeah, it's obviously a smaller conference or a small, smaller number of conferences, I should say. So, you know, if you did that at the NCAA, you probably have to double the tournament to 128, which I'm sure CBS wouldn't care about. I'd hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's too That's too many. I mean, they talked about that, and I just thought, you know, that – because you know what would happen. Very few of those small conferences would get a second team. You'd get the, the ninth and tenth place finishers out of these mega conferences like the SEC and, and, and real – Besides fans of that school, who wants to see the the 10th place finisher in the Southeast Conference in the big dance? I I don't. Well, ESPN does it since you said the SEC. Well, if it was football, I'd say yes. But the 10th finisher in basketball, I mean, I I just think that would be too much. Yeah, it would would be too much. So it's uh it, it definitely is a good or di- interesting dynamic when you talk about you know who should get the automatic bid but definitely the 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 fan in me loves seeing those kind of obscure schools you know get, you know having their Cinderella moment yeah i again i i love and a lot of times depending on my schedule sometimes i like to try to take a day off either the the first or second day of the NCAA tournament and just embed out on basketball and root for the 16 and 15 seeds. Cause you see those neutral site games, Brad, when one of those Cinderella's is, is hanging in there, they're close or they have the lead late in the game that, that no longer becomes a neutral court. When that happens, everybody in that gym, other than faithful followers of that one or two seed is rooting for that underdog. And I love it. Well, yeah, I remember when UMBC beat Virginia a few years ago. There, there, I mean, you can't tell me there was a single person watching that game unless they had a, a rooting interest in Virginia. They, they weren't pulling for Virginia. They, they, everyone was pulling for UMBC. <laughs> of course they were, and that, I think, makes the, the big dance very, very special. Well, something, Brad, that was not very special in any way, shape, or form here recently in NCAA basketball was the ugly incident Uh, involving Michigan and Wisconsin here. Now it's happened about, oh, refresh my memory, Brad. Was that about 10 days ago now, or is that closer to just a week ago? It was was, uh, about a week and a half ago. About a week and a half ago. For those of you who don't know, um, at the conclusion of the game between uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, there was, of course, the traditional handshake line where people went through it. Um, Juwan Howard, who is been involved in a couple of other incidents um in my opinion he went way way over any line that you would ever have drawn of acceptable behavior and after a disagreement um, with the wisconsin coach actually struck him physically in the face leading to almost an all-out brawl at the end of this game um and then I, I don't know what I was more offended by, Brad, his actions or the 
penalties, so-called penalties that he faced, a five-game sus- suspension um, and a fine. And I believe that the Wisconsin coach was also fined um, during this incident. I, I thought it was way inadequate. Um, that, that's that's criminal there. But that, that's assault and battery, what Juwan Howard did. I thought at least he should have been done this year for the rest of the season, if not dismissed as head coach. What do you think? You can definitely make that argument. And I certainly would. I, I thought the bare minimum punishment should have been for the for the rest of the season, uh, not regular, not just regular season, Big Ten tournament, any postseason after that uh, definitely should have been the minimum punishment. Uh, you know, beyond that, I know there's been some talk about getting rid of handshake lines or whatever. You know, I just kind of like how the NFL and like, uh, you know, European soccer does post game. You know, the people just kind of wander around the floor. If you want to shake hands, great. Uh, if you don't want to, I mean, no big deal either. I, 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 the formal handshake lines, I don't know if they're really needed. Uh, again, I just kind of like how the NFL does, you know, just kind of a free-for-all. If you want to shake hands with everybody, you know, knock yourself out. Uh, but the formal handshake line, I don't know. It, it's I, I, On one hand, it's, you know, a college coach should have the maturity to be able to go through that handshake line and not have to worry about anything. But on the other hand, look, I mean, we know emotions are high oftentimes. And uh, I, I don't I, – again, I'm not saying necessarily get rid of them. But it would be better if maybe it wasn't quite so formal either. I I don't mind it at all, and I think he, he hit the nail on the head there. Um, the grown up has got to be your head coach. Um, he's got to be. He is supposed to be teaching. Um, these are still very young. Some of them are eighteen years old. They're still almost adolescents. Um, you still have to be teaching these um, young men life and not just basketball and that kind of example there um that a head coach does this is is just um it just to me it's immature i mean the most mature person out there should be your head coach and he was the most immature and and he, I, he should have lost in my opinion he should have lost his job over this and the fact that you know he's one of the fab five i'm sure definitely was a saving grace there for him i mean let's be honest uh It'd be, it, it would be like, you know, Jacques Vaughn coming back to Kansas and doing something like that. I mean, with all due respect, if that happened to Jacques Vaughn at Kansas, something similar is probably happening. But if it's a first-year coach or something like that, and, you know, if John Beeline had done that in one of his first couple of years, yeah, he's probably probably out. Well, what what if the, the coach at Florida International does this? You think he's fired? Oh, absolutely. And they're not even thinking twice about it. Yeah, so that there, there's therein is the double standard. Um, I just, uh, it's just there's been so many bad incidents, um, to, and to see something like that just go so far over the line, it just you can you can tell from my reaction, it just, it just did not set well at all. I, I watched the video. I, I couldn't watch the video more than twice, um, just just to see what happened. And yeah, I don't I don't care what was said. Again, you, you've got to be the adult there and. I I wish I don't know if the NCAA can step in or not in this situation, but I I I hope that there's there's more that happens to Juwan Howard than 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 just this um, five game suspension and the fine. I hope there's some type of a I don't know if you need anger management or what what he needs, but so, I, something more needs to be done I think before they leave this one alone. Well, it could always also do what Indiana did to Bob Knight. Essentially, tell Juwan Howard, you're zero tolerance now, man. Next slip up, you're gone. 
And, you know, credit Indiana. They did just that to Bob Knight. They put him on a zero tolerance, and his next slip-up, he was gone. So maybe that's a, a possible direction that Michigan could take. I think that's a fantastic idea, and hopefully um, they will follow suit. Well, let's switch sports now, Brad. And unfortunately, the news isn't any better than it was for Juwan Howard in Michigan as Major League Baseball The lockout has now run into the regular season as the two sides still, um, for all intents and purposes, not anywhere close, it doesn't sound like, to any kind of a a labor deal to get baseball back on track. They've already decided that they will scrap the first two series or six games of the regular season, already knocking it from – 162 to 156 and from what i am hearing um just in reading and stuff as far apart as they are it would not surprise me at all if there are more games to be canceled coming very very shortly i don't want to go as far as saying that the season's in trouble scott but the more i read about this and the more i i I just see just i don't know scott the, the season could be in trouble it really could. Now, do I think that the entire season will be canceled? No. I, I think eventually they'll sort it out. But it could get to the point where we don't see baseball until Memorial Day. I mean, they're not meeting again for, what, another week and a half? So even if you solve it then, I mean, that's that would be, what, March? Let's say they solve it in 10 days, March 12th. So that means if you need a month to start the, you know, when, when you consider maybe a week to report to spring training and then, a, you know, four weeks. So you're talking five weeks. So you're t- right now talking about the earliest starting the regular season in late April right now. So it's not going to take very much more to, to continue to push this back. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the owners care. I, I, I blame the owners for this. They've got, you know, they got money coming out of all parts of their body when it comes to how much money they have. Think about this, Scott. They're they're losing, uh, you know, potentially a month of the season already, and they don't care. Why don't <laughs> they care? Because they've got so much money. They don't care. They don't care, and it just really makes me sad. I know it's the millionaires, just the billionaires. I know there's a lot of people out there that, that blame the players, but this one falls with the owners. They don't care. And it's like I put on Twitter or on Facebook, Scott. You know, I let's be honest. Most of these, if not all of these major leagues, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, Major League Soccer, the NFL, European leagues, they let's be honest, they don't care about the fans. They 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 just don't. They care about one thing, that's money. But I'll give Major League Baseball credit. They're more open about their disdain and not caring about the fans than the other leagues. <laughs> they certainly are transparent about that, aren't they? Um, <laughs> it was it was a horrible look when they were bickering during the COVID year when the season was shortened to 60 games, when they were bickering about money, when there was how many thousands of Americans out of work due to the um, businesses being forced to close and all that. This is just as bad. Um, just you got a season in last year and now you didn't meet for the longest time when the season concluded, what it, what it take them two or three months after the season was over before they even met for the first time. So nobody seemed to have any urgency to get this figured out. And like you said, it's obvious that they don't care. And to me, it seems like the players don't care. If nobody met, they should have been meeting a week after the season was over to get this thing figured out. And it's just, it's aggravated me beyond belief because 
even when they had baseball because of MLB network and all the contracts, you and I couldn't watch the Royals um, because they blacked out everything on Fox sports Midwest. We can't watch the team that we want to watch unless they're the, the national game of the week. And how often right now, the way the Royals are playing, what three or four times are we going to get to see them on Fox? Um, it's aggravated me to the point that I would urge people if this goes on for a while, if we lose a month of the season or something, do not sign up to MLB Network. Do not go to home games. Go to your minor league teams. Go, go and watch them play. Go to your, go to your summer league teams and, and watch your baseball there. Quit supporting these bickering millionaires that, like you said, just they just don't seem to care that the only ones that suffer are the fans and then the people like the security guards, the concession people. Those are the ones that suffered during the COVID year too. The, the normal working person always suffers because they're bickering about money. And we know that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before, you know, the NFL for all of its faults, and there are many, we talked about, you know, officiating and all that and how they can get some of these things wrong. No one does sports like the NFL. And it's all about access. You know, the NBA, I, I, I watch NBA games. They're, they're easy to find. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of, like, if I was a, a real Golden State fan, what I could do to find, you know, Golden State. It's probably not tremendously difficult or NHL. But, um, you know, I talked about this with Sporting Kansas City before. You know, they were also on Bally's. And what they essentially did was they told Bally's, we're done with you. And they have all their uh, non-national broadcasts broadcast on over-the-air uh, TV in Kansas City, free TV for everybody. And basically what they said is that sporting Kansas City fans in Kansas and Missouri can watch those games. You're, you know, that you live outside the metropolitan area. You're probably not going to get the over-the-air channel. Watch it for free on our app. Just download our app and watch it for free. I mean, that's just remarkable how sporting Kansas City has essentially made it accessible to fans. I mean, Scott, I seriously, since... July 31st of 2019, when I when I the first contract dispute happened and I, and I lost the Royals on Dish Network and I tried to get Hulu and I think I got Fox Sports Midwest for a week before there's contract disputes there. So I never got to watch the Royals that season. I think I've probably watched in the neighborhood and I'm just guessing here, maybe five Royals games on national broadcasts in the last month in February. I was able to watch Liverpool, my favorite European soccer team, seven times on TV or stream. Seven times in, in the shortest month of the year. And I probably have watched five Royals games in collectively in the last two and a half seasons. Yeah. They just they've sucked the joy out of it for the for the average fan that you can't turn on um, your your local or regional provider and watch your favorite team because because they, they, they don't care. It that that's the way they're going to make their money and it's it's just preventing preventing the normal person from enjoying my, my, my advice to people this spring is turn on the USFL and enjoy some more football. How about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, well, that is where we will leave our regular topics for the week and, and move into our final thoughts. Well, you kind of uh, piggybacked a little, or you kind of mentioned a little bit about what I was going to talk about is that, you know, there's a lot of great options. And uh, Scott, we're, we're both baseball guys. We both love baseball. I mean, I, I grew up on baseball, watching the Royals all the time, and uh, it, it, I'm sad that I'm, I haven't seen that many Royals games in the last couple of years. But you know what? 
there's still a lot of great baseball out there you can support. The wind surge have been openly marketing their team. Uh, anyone who's not on the 40-man roster can still play in the minors. There's a lot of independent ball out there. The Kansas City Monarchs play up in, uh, in the Legends in Kansas City, Kansas, and they, they have a great product, a very fan-friendly product. And, of course, over the summer, a lot of uh, smaller communities around central Kansas have their summer collegiate league teams. And, you know, living in Hutchinson, I, I can assure you that no one does summer baseball like the Hutchinson Monarchs organization does. I have so much fun when I go out to those games. You know, my son enjoys has been going to those games for years. My wife works out there during the games. It's um, boy, I tell you, there, there's still so much baseball out there to support. You don't have to if, you, if you're a big baseball guy like you and I are, Scott. There are plenty of options, and I strongly recommend the longer this goes, even if they start playing, you know, in May, go out and support these minor league teams. Go support these independent league teams. Go out and support these summer collegiate league teams. Go to the NBC World Series. You know, take in a Pipeliners game. Take in the Newton Rebels. Take in the, the Hutchinson Monarchs. Go watch the Dodge City A's, the Hayes Larks. You know, just, trust me, it's, 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 it's good quality baseball still. It's fan-friendly. You still get all your concessions. You still get your beer at a lot of these games. Trust me, it's it's well worth the time. Absolutely. If you go out to a Pipeliners game, come and say hi to me. That's uh, my summer league team. I do uh, play-by-play for. You can hear the, those games actually on the Ad Astra Sports Network. So, yeah, it's it's fun baseball. And, yeah, there's, there's plenty of options. And I, I strongly encourage everybody to – check into them the longer that this ridiculousness with the MLB continues. Well, I'm going to go somewhere, Brad. I don't know if you happen to see this. I came across this this morning and I looked it up again this evening. Um, have you seen this um, with the old Miss baseball team by chance? I have not. They um, have uh, a unique two sport player, Brad, um, on their baseball roster. He's a freshman. He's also the nose tackle for the Old Miss Rebels football team. His name is Tuan Malone. He's 6'4 and 310 pounds. He had his second career at bat in college this week when they were playing Virginia Commonwealth. It was a walk-off 404-foot home run for the Mercy Rule to beat VCU 14-3. What makes this even more amazing is that he missed most of his junior season in high school due to, of course, COVID, and he missed all of his senior high school season to a knee surgery that he was recovering from. So basically, in his second at-bat in three years, he hits a 400-plus foot home run and also plays first base for Ole Miss, and by the way, is the nose tackle in the middle of all the action in the fall for the Ole Miss Rebels. If if you have if you can pull this up, just just Google Ole Miss nose tackle playing baseball or something to that effect. This video will come up, Brad. The crack of the bat when he hits his homer, it, it, you knew it was gone if you didn't even see the video. It was it was so much fun. Of course, he's a crowd favorite as you could imagine, but to see somebody that size with such great bat speed. And, and coordination to be a dual sport athlete at that size. I thought it was so much fun just to watch that video. Yeah. Well, I, I love seeing stories like that, you know, I mean, see, seeing the, you know, the, the guy who does, or the, the female who does a second sport or something like that. And, you know, they do something just uh, out of the ordinary or something remarkable. Uh, you know, we've seen, 
you know, like soccer players who uh, end up kicking for football teams or something like that. It's just, it's just really neat to see those kind of stories. And, and, you know, that's, that's why we love sports, Scott is, is it, <laughs> yes, the championships are fun, but those kind of stories are more or less why we love sports. And I would advise any opposing catcher if uh, he's on second and there's a single into the outfield and he's coming around third, I, I think I would retire um, and not risk getting taken out at the plate. Um, just just <laughs> there on that uh, a collision at the plate with a 6'4", 310-pound nose tackle. I, I think I might bail out. Yeah, definitely. I, I think even the <laughs> toughest of catchers, I, you know, Salvi uh, would probably bail out too, so – Oh, goodness but yeah it's a it's a lot of fun check out that video on youtube if if you get a chance it's a it's a lot of fun but uh um yeah that's the we'll end on that good note this evening so again if you want to look at our full evolving schedule for substate it's at adasherradio.com in the sports page and then of course at the first of next week We'll have your state broadcasting schedule. And, oh, by the way, you want to hear a little college baseball. I'm going to get in an early Sterling Warriors game um, next Tuesday afternoon. I believe it's a 3 o'clock start against McPherson, one nine-inning game. You can see that at scwarriors.com. And, and we've got a busy week. Not sure if we can be with you next week. We're going to try to get the podcast to you next week as well, if not a week from Sunday, I'm also going to dive into Wichita Wizards basketball, Brad, the semi-pro team or minor league team, however you want to refer to them, in Wichita. It uses all the NBA rules. I'm going to do that for the first time as well. So all that can be coming up. Again, you can find that broadcast online. But for this week's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week. <laughs>